Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. So glad that you're here today. Well, November is adoption month. You may know that I'm a parent that grew my family through adoption. Our oldest came to us as a six-month-old little bundle of delight. Man, she was born in Ethiopia. And our adoption process led us to great involvement in our local adoption community here in Minnesota. My husband and I started a related business and with others began a nonprofit that supported Ethiopian-born children. And I say that because we came alongside hundreds of adoptive families and each family has a different story, a different story, a different journey with all of their own unique joys and struggles. Today, my guest and I are going to discuss blocked care. My first question is going to be, do non-adoptive families experience blocked care? So if you are an adoptive foster parent, I know we have thousands of you in our community, or if adoption is not in your story, but you are struggling because you feel yourself withdrawing from your child, this episode is for you. So let me introduce my guests. Melissa Corkum co-authored the book, Reclaim Compassion, the Adoptive Parent's Guide to Overcoming Blocked Care with Neuroscience and Faith. She's an adoptee and adoptive mom and specializes in helping parents find brain-based solutions to challenging behaviors so that you can laugh more and yell less. I like that. She also has a passion for helping adoptees process their stories through the lens of the Enneagram. Welcome to the Connected Families Podcast, Melissa. Stacey, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you. We had your partner and your co-author on the book that we're going to talk about today. We had her on, it was a while ago. We talked about what causes anger issues in children. So hey, everybody, it's episode 46. If you want to go and, and listen to that one, we're happy to have you here today talking about your new book. And as promised in the intro, I'm going to just come out of the gates with this question. Does blocked care only happen in adoptive foster families? Absolutely not. The definition is when a parent, any parent or caregiver, so it may be grandparent or like, you know, we call them sometimes primary caregivers. Their nervous system is so overwhelmed by stress and it can be from lots of different things that their self-protective mechanism of their nervous system starts to take over and we lose some of those caregiving systems in our nervous system start to shut down. And so that then looks like, we, we call it blocked care. We didn't name it. It came from Jonathan Balin and Dan Hughes, but that can look like maybe apathy in parenting, 10 signs that we talk about. But the short answer is blocked care can happen in any caregiving relationship. I've been going through your book. Your book says that people who are experiencing blocked care are still going through all the motions. They're providing all the care that the children need, but their heart is not in it. So just dig into more about what does blocked care look like? What are the, some of the signs of it? Yeah, so at the end, we'll talk about a free assessment parents can take where they can assess the 10 signs that we talk about. And we've made that free for your listeners. But some of the things that we hear the most are, you know, being so caught up in the stress of whatever it is that we lose curiosity about our kids' behaviors, feeling resentful towards 
whatever your circumstance or situation is feeling i think we get this one a lot feeling cynical towards helpful ideas so you know a lot of times when we're working with parents when we first started working with parents before we knew anything about blocked care it was so easy to say oh we have the answer for that like if you just use this tool or give an option for a compromise you know and parents would say that's not going to work for me you know and we didn't quite understand like what this resistance was to just trying something new so that's a part of blocked care feeling isolated even just feeling grumpy with all the relationships in your world i know when i was kind of at my deepest point of blocked care like it wasn't just affecting the children that I had blocked care with it kind of like leaked out into my marriage mm-hmm. and my other kids that's good i know in the book there's i think you have i don't know more than maybe even 10 <laughs> signs of blocked care one of them is you feel resentment towards one of your child Ooh, just hard feelings and then you recognize that but you just mentioned when you experienced blocked care can you tell us about your own story and how you got into writing this book around what blocked care is and then how to get out of it. Yeah. So uh, you already mentioned Lisa Qualls. We came together through the blogging world back in 2018 and started talking about each of our family's experience with parenting and specifically parenting through adoption, which is a part of our stories. Between the two of us, we actually make up all three parts of the adoption triad. So adoption is just a really integral part of who we are. Lisa is a first mom or birth mom. So she was forced to relinquish a son in her teens. I'm an adult adoptee and then we're both adoptive moms. And part of our experience was we got to the point where the behaviors with our kids were so big that we needed so many resources. But also a part of that was we hit kind of these like rock bottom points where we kind of felt like giving up. Like you mentioned, like we were doing the things. We were driving kids to therapy. We were making dinner even some nights, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. But like the blocked part, even if you don't know that a formal definition, like there's something that resonates about that. Like, cause we can feel it. Like we just, there was like a wall around our hearts. Yeah. At the time, Lisa was working on a breakout for an adoption foster care conference. And she called it when your heart feels trampled. Every time she would teach that topic, the room would pack out. And so we had, we knew we had hit on something that was shameful to talk about that a lot yeah. of people were thinking or feeling but didn't know how to voice and as soon as we started talking about it publicly kind of the floodgates opened she kind of addressed it on her blog over 10 years ago and that blog post before she retired her blog was still the most had the most hits you know if you're tracking statistics and i was reading brain-based parenting by john balin and dan hughes and they name blocked care and they define it and they talk about the types and all these things and i remember calling her and being like oh my gosh like there's a name for this thing that we've been tossing around and talking about and i mean we know right when there's a name for something it takes some of the power out of the shame because it's like oh if there's enough people out there that have observed it enough to name it then we're not the only ones. And so that was really kind of the start of us being like, okay, this is a thing that isn't being talked about enough that needs to be addressed. But because we're so intimately connected with the adoption world, that's the audience that we talk to about it the most. The names in the title of the book, because, you know, in the in marketing world, the, the more specific a person you talk to, the more people will find you. But the truth of the matter is, is that just like we talked about at the beginning, it is a widespread issue, I think, and especially in a post-COVID world. I mean, if we go back to the definition, right, like overwhelming stress in a parent's nervous system. And I think that's 
so many of us in COVID, regardless of how we came to parenting. And I really do think we're looking at a lot of families who have some level of blocked care post COVID because we felt stuck in the stress and it affected the way we were able to care for the people in our houses. It's really good. And wow, my heart resonates with that first phrase that Lisa used. What, what was it? My heart feels trampled. Yeah. When your heart feels trampled. <laughs> when your heart feels trampled, because this is a hard conversation for families, for parents to really come to grips with, because we want to be great parents. And then when we feel those walls, you're right, there's so much shame. And we're going to get to that because you talk about just first steps of how do we start to get through, think of it like swampy, like, you know, all the weeds of, of our hearts and what's going on and, and just start to wade through it. But, you know, the book is just really excellent because there's three parts. I know you know this too. You wrote it, but it's the first part is, is just an explanation of what it is, the experience of it. And then the second part is awesome. We love the neuroscience of all the things. We, we talk a lot about that here at Connected Families too, and how important it is. But the third part is the plan, the plan for recovery. And so talk about the plan for recovery and just how you structured the book. It, there's just so many exercises for parents to walk through. Yeah, we wanted to make it kind of this immersive experience. So it certainly is a book you could read cover to cover, but we really wanted it to be more of an experience. Like we imagine we wrote every chapter almost like a week, but that pacing even feels fast for some people because life happens. And so this could really be a month's experience. And I think this is also an important point to mention that blocked care isn't something that happens and then it's over necessarily, you know, that especially if we're living with kind of chronic stress or our kids have continued big behaviors, then blocked care is kind of like a spectrum or, you know, in neuroscience, we talk about whether our nervous system feels like it's safe or not safe, like if it's in connection or protection mode, and that can shift almost in the moment, you know, we can have a connecting moment with someone and then they might do something or say something and all of a sudden we feel that disconnection set in and blocked care is similar that I could have moments of blocked care, I could have days of blocked care, I could have weeks or months, sometimes even years of blocked care. And the process to overcome it is like a practice. It becomes these daily rituals, these daily practices that allow us to have more time out of blocked care than in blocked care. But I don't think most of us will ever be in a place where we're just finished with blocked care and we're moving on. You know, like this is kind of a journey that we're on to notice these things in our nervous system. So I wanted to say that because sometimes mm -hmm. people are like, I thought I was finished with this, you know, and mm -hmm. is it normal to experience it again? And, and the answer is absolutely yes. Mm -hmm. So we wanted the book to be very immersive. So at the end of every chapter, even in the first part before we're actually even talking about overcoming block care, at the end of every chapter, there are five, what we call just simple practices that invite you more into the experience of understanding blocked care in your own story, understanding the neuroscience of it. And then, you know, as we move on also beginning mm -hmm. to overcome it. Yeah, that's good. 
You know, you talk in the book, one of those sort of exercises is just about acknowledging our own shame and grief. And I just wanted to talk to you a minute about that, because even as an adoptive mom, that feels really hard. Because if I acknowledge the grief, or if I acknowledge that, on one hand, I'm so grateful for the kids in my home. So to say that I'm grieving something I don't have just feels so ah. Uh, hard to say. It feels ungrateful for the children that I have. Can you dig into that a little bit? First, we have to sit in the tension that two things can be true in so many situations, right? We can feel joy and sadness almost in the same breath. We can recognize the beauty in adoption while also recognizing it's all born from grief and loss. You know, there's so many of that. We live in a society that's so black and white. And so I think this holding the tension between two seemingly conflicting ideas is really hard for us. I think the other thing is we have a similarly narrow definition of grief and We talk in the book about one of the exercises actually is making a list of expectations on one side and the actual realities on the other. And then we talk about whenever there's a gap between your expectation and your reality, there's something to grieve there. And so saying that we have things to grieve doesn't mean that we're not grateful for our circumstance or the children in our home. I mean, like this could be as silly and simple as we opened the fridge and we really wanted chocolate milk and someone drank it all before we got there, right? So there's this expectation and then there's the reality and then there's like kind of the sense of loss. Now, Mm -hmm. those types of griefs, right? We don't probably spend a lot of time processing and that can be remedied relatively quickly. But if we just think about all the different places in our life, where there's a gap between expectation and reality, and that that requires, even if it's a tiny bit of grief work, then I think that at recognizing grief, but unresolved grief lands us in those places of anger, like you mentioned earlier, and and resentment. And so I think it's just good practice Mm -hmm. to recognize where there's a gap and then understand that that's something that we need to work through. What I'm hearing is there's just so much of my own internal work that I need to do. And that's the place where I start. Yes, Melissa? Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because we hold that concept with such care and grace and compassion because Mm -hmm. what we don't want parents to hear is it's their fault or we don't want to create more shame by saying, the ball's in your court, you know, like this all starts with you, while also gently recognizing that in every situation, there's always something we're bringing to the table. There's always something that we can be doing better where, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the situation is, and hoping that also it feels empowering because so many parents that we talk to who are struggling with blocked care also feel this crippling sense of powerlessness, that, that they can't change their kids behavior or they can't change the path that they're on and a lot of resilience has to do with where we find our locus of control and so we're hoping that letting parents know that there is something in their control within their control when it comes to block care feels empowering and not like another burden yeah 
Well, the name of your book is Reclaim Compassion. So we're going to go to a break, but then I'm going to ask you about this title. <laughs> and we're going to move to some of the steps that you talk about in the third part of your book. So, hey, everybody, if this conversation has been useful, pass it on, share it with a friend, and we're going to go to a break and I'll see you in just a minute. Hi, friends. I wanted to be sure you're aware of our growing group of Connected Family Certified Parent Coaches. Currently, we have 77 coaches across the United States and in 13 countries from Papua New Guinea to Ethiopia to Estonia to Guatemala. Some of the coaches have their own niche, such as sensitive and intense kids or anxiety, but they are all certified in the Connected Families framework. In fact, there are four elements that inform the coaches at Connected Families. First and foremost, the Bible. All our coaches are followers of Jesus and that impacts all of their interactions, including with coaching clients. Well, the second one is of course, the Connected Families Framework. Everything we do at Connected Families is built on the framework and the messages that we believe all kids long to hear. The messages are, you are safe with me, you are loved no matter what, you are called and capable, and you are responsible for your actions. Well, the third element that informs coaching is attachment and trauma research. Many of the parents who reach out to us for parent coaching have children who've experienced trauma and have insecure attachment. The coaches at Connected Families are awesome, but they are also trauma sensitive and informed. And then last, the certified parent coaches are informed by the latest child development, right? We believe that God has given incredible gifts and insights to researchers in the field of child development. We prioritize staying abreast of the latest research in the field. Well, if you would like to connect with one of our Connected Families Certified Parent Coaches, tap through to the show notes. We have a list of all the coaches on our website where you can read about their bios, see their picture, and learn how to connect with them. So if you're feeling persistently stuck in your parenting, please reach out. Everyone listed on this page has undergone and continues to receive extensive training in our coaches certification program. You know, after coaching, one parent said, I could physically feel a change. After my first coaching session, I felt less burdened and anxious. We want that for you too. So tap through to the show notes to get connected to a certified parent coach today. All right, we're coming back off the break and I am having an amazing conversation with Melissa Corkum in her book that she co-wrote, Reclaim Compassion. And so Melissa, I promised everyone that we're going to get into the title, Reclaim Compassion. This is how parents can overcome blocked care. So can you explain it? We spent hours or perhaps even days kind of deliberating over what this would be. We wanted it to feel hopeful, more positive. We wanted it to be something that if your kids found it laying around, that it didn't feel mm -hmm. like you needed to be too ashamed of it. But we also believe it's totally possible to reclaim compassion. We also wanted to give parents the benefit of the doubt that they were compassionate parents at some point in their journey, that they started out excited to be parents you know in our case because we're working with adoptive parents although some kinship providers kind of fall into that 
situation without a lot of planning and foresight. But a lot of adoption and foster care stories start with parents making a lot of very intentional, <laughs> deliberate steps into parenthood. And, you know, we did that with compassion in our hearts. And yeah, we believe that folks can reclaim it. So in the book, you use the word radical compassion and how these are some of the steps working through blocked care. So what does it mean? Or maybe even what are the steps towards radical compassion that a, that a parent needs to take at the beginning? Like you mentioned, it's parent facing first. So we have yeah. a roadmap inside our coaching program and we, the big overarching steps are reclaim compassion for yourself first. And then we can reclaim compassion for our kids. I think a lot of times we're tempted to go right at what we think is the biggest problem, which is I can't stand to be around my kid right now, right? And that's not the place to start because we need to have margin in our own nervous system space to have that type of radical compassion where we're choosing, we're able to choose compassion and empathy. And that comes back to a lot of the neuroscience, like. We know this about our kids. A lot of our parents come to us knowing something about how the nervous system works because they've taken parenting courses and understood something about their child's nervous system and what happens. You know, we talk about looking for the need behind behavior and all of that, but we kind of forget to turn that on ourselves. Our nervous system needs a sense of felt safety for connection, yeah. just like our kids need felt safety. And so giving parents permission to go after their own sense of felt safety through what we call nervous system care. And a lot of the third part of the book is taking parents step by step through what does it mean to learn how to cue safety to our nervous system? How do we intentionally tell our nervous system we're safe? Assuming we are. So we understand that some parents are in really extreme circumstances and we're not trying to untrain your nervous system's ability to keep you safe. But what we find is that a lot of parents nervous system just like our kids are hyper vigilant and in some situations where maybe their child is just frustrated our nervous system is reacting like we're unsafe speaking of safety you know we've already talked about the fact that blocked care is in families adoptive or not and so this question that i'm going to ask actually came from one of our staff and the question is, how do we create a culture in our homes that's welcoming, loving, trusting, even when you get hurt over and over again? So I think the first thing is we talk to parents about being deeply, deeply anchored in their own sense of felt safety. And sometimes we call that resiliency, right? That's our ability to come back to that welcoming sense that that question comes from, even after multiple instances of maybe not safety or aggression or big behaviors or rejection. And so I think we have to think about like that, like a rubber band, right? Like it can stretch and it stretches to accommodate whatever the situation is, but then it can come back to its shape. And so we can, our nervous system can stretch and activate when it, when necessary to keep us safe. And then, but can it come back to that sense of regulation and connection and yeah. what does that look like for each of us what kind of practices how does our spiritual walk like how does our relationship with god impact that you know we talk a lot about how our kids need co-regulators every human needs co-regulation to find that resilience and self-regulation and 
you know, for people who do have a spiritual walk and do believe in God, like we can imagine God as our co-regulator and imagine him in that space and offering us that resilience because, you know, the Bible shows his resilience in like, even in the old Testament, how the, you know, nation of Israel, like went astray and then came back and then tried something else and then came back and, you know, back and forth and back and forth. So we love a God who also understands the back and forth and the necessary, the necessity for resilience because he's experienced that same back and forth. He just happens to be the perfect incarnation of resilience. So he's, he can come back again and again and again. It's really, really powerful, you know, because in Hebrews it says we don't have a high priest who doesn't know what we've experienced. I didn't say that exactly right, but put it in the show notes, the exact first, but I've never thought about it in terms of parenting, I guess, and blocked care. He knows what rejection is like. He knows when someone moves away and comes back to you or disappoints you is making decisions that are hurtful to, you know, even the people that you love or to themselves. And I would just think that's such a powerful, powerful awareness to know that you can go to a God who understands exactly what you've watched through and what you've felt. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, depending on the age of your kids, we work with a lot of parents who are parenting teens and young adults. And developmentally, that's the age where they're looking for differentiation anyway. And so this is not a challenge or an invitation to not have boundaries or put yourself in harm's way or to, you know, go after heartache again and again. And I think that's a personal journey for everyone. But sometimes God waited for people to come back to him. So I think that gives us permission, right, to to prayerfully discern is it mine to do to keep putting my heart out there, you know, and maybe it is like dipping your heart out there, you know, it's not like the full on, you know, here's my heart trample all over it. And so I think we just need to be wise about that. I think we always, when our kids come to us for connection, I do think, you know, in a perfect world, I do think it is part of our responsibility to have be taking care of ourselves in a way that we can be open to that when that happens, if that's part of your story. But it doesn't mean that we have to keep, you know, laying our full selves and our heart out there again and again. You know, we can connect from a distance. We can love from a distance if that's Mm -hmm. for a season. And I can see that that would be different with with each family and with each person and each circumstance, but that the foundation of that even is that you've gone to the father and you have experienced his care and his love so that you can have a peaceful heart as you make wise decisions about the way that you offer your heart to your kids. So just in our last minutes, I want to ask a couple other questions that came from our community also. And I just love our community. We actually have a Facebook alumni group where we have hundreds, probably thousands of people that are there that have gone through our courses and are supporting each other through parenting struggles. And so two questions that I'll maybe just ask, I'll combine them, but it's really around how to support a spouse when our spouse is experiencing pretty strong blocked care. And the other one was how to support our kids, the other kids in the home. And the kids could be reacting differently. You know, some of them 
want nothing to do with the child who is being a little bit more difficult, you know, but maybe other children in the home are so seeking affirmation from that child and not receiving it that they're getting hurt. So we've got all of these dynamics going on in a home. And so how can we help those people? We, I mean, we like literally could do a whole course, right? On all of yeah. those things. I think the short answer is the things in the third part of the book that we call nervous system care are really great for creating resilience in all nervous systems towards all kinds of stress. And they are good for teachers who are experiencing burnout. They're great for our spouses. They're great for our kids. And so I think even outside of block care and outside of the book, using language in our families around our nervous systems, understanding why people act the way they do, using nervous care, like neuroscience language is helpful because then that gives us a jumping off point to talk about how is your nervous system doing? What does it need? And if we're doing that well for all of the people in our family, then a lot of that blocked care will kind of dissipate on its own. There are a lot of other nuances to the sibling dynamic, the spouse dynamic. We actually just tackled that spouse question on our podcast. Someone called in and was like, I think my spouse has blocked care. How do I help him? And so we kind of talked extensively about how to even just approach that because the last thing you want to do is create further shutdown by kind of letting your spouse think you're judging them for their blocked care. And so how do we even offer help in overcoming blocked care to a spouse, especially if they haven't named it and haven't said, hey, can you help me? Like, it's tricky. And in families where there's a lot of blocked care, everyone's nervous system is a little bit fragile, right? And so we kind of have to just do our own nervous system care so that we can show care for all the nervous systems in the house, regardless of whether or not they have block care. And we don't have time to get into it today, but I mean, it's a, it's more than a third of the book. It's all sorts of ways that you can, what activities that you can do to work through this. And, you know, tell us a little bit more about the, the last third of the book, Melissa, and just ways that parents can walk through blocked care. So from a big overarching perspective, we talk about how the how neuroscience tells us that our nervous system is looking for cues in three different domains, inside, internally from ourselves, externally from the world, and then relationally between other nervous systems that can sense. And so we walk through each, we call them buckets. And if you think about how do we fill up each of those buckets? How do we fill up making sure we're cueing safety to our internal bucket, which includes both our physical well-being and our mindset. And then how do we just pay attention to our environment? I mean, it can be as simple as like, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm sitting at my desk, which also happens to be in my bedroom. So it faces my bed. And I figured out early on in this you know, the setup that it was hard on my nervous system to stare at an unmade bed all day. But that like was taking up brain power in my like awareness to have to deal with that like little itty bitty stressor, right? And so just making my bed every day just re- alleviates that that pressure point in my nervous system. We give some really easy, quick wins at the beginning of the book, like points of joy. So just finding, trying to find seven times during the day when you do something that just brings you joy. And it can be silly, simple, inexpensive to free things, like Mm -hmm. noticing that it brings you joy when the sun's shining, when you walk out your front door, Mm -hmm. the first sip of coffee that's like 
actually still hot and tastes really good. You know, just those things, even just bringing Mm -hmm. awareness to like the fact that there is joy, both two things can be true, right? That there's joy in the midst of whatever chaos is happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of just a flavor of some of that third part of the book. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the book is deep and then gives you quick hit practical things that you can do. And so I love that about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us today here on the Connected Families podcast, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. For your listeners who are thinking, oh, this block care thing, it's a little too close to home. I'm wondering, you know, if I'm in block care, we wanted to offer your folks a free assessment. And so they can find that at our website adoptionwise.org slash connected families. And again, like we said, even if you're not an adoptive family, this still applies to you. It just so happens that that's the website name, but you're welcome to come and take that assessment regardless of how you came to parenting. There's also a curriculum on our website that is actually not adoption specific. It's called the Foundations for Preventing and Overcoming Blocked Care. And so that is a great way for non-adoptive families to get all the information without having to wade through all the adoption specific language. Mm, That's great. We're going to have all the links to those things as well as Reclaim Compassion, your book. We're going to have links for all of that in our show notes. So please tap through if you're interested in any of that. Well, Melissa, do you have any final thoughts or comments to those parents who are experiencing blocked care? I think I already said it, but there's always hope for overcoming blocked care, no matter how deep into it you think you are. And then we always close our podcast out by reassuring parents that they are good parents doing good work. And so I think that of course applies to your folks as well. Mm, It sure does. It sure does. Well, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. Well, for more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time. Bye.